0: Good morning, good to see all of you. So Jesus comes into towns and cities of the first century in Palestine, announcing what he calls the gospel of God. And Mark's gospel, there's lots of places that have this, but Mark's gospel, chapter 1, has uh, this summary statement of what he says is good news. And, and it, it's this, Mark 1, 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news it's time he says it's time's fulfilled. Uh, n- another author has said that the future is now spilling into the present, uh, which I really like it 's time for heaven to invade earth it 's time it 's an announcement that there's an inbreaking of a new kingdom or new government. Uh, we don't have a lot of kingdoms, so. Uh, anymore, so some have suggested another way of saying God's kingdom is like God's economy, God's order, God's rule, but it's in, it's in breaking, and so Jesus spends his time announcing this one thing, the good news that there's a new order that's breaking in and setting up in the midst of the old order, and this is what he teaches about, and this is what he tells stories about, all of his parables, his stories are designed to help us imagine what this new thing is, this new kingdom, is, and then all of his what often get called miracles, are demonstrations of the the new thing breaking into the old oh so in god 's kingdom, uh, God wants to restore people 's physical bodies, oh, oh, okay, I see, so Jesus talks about it. It's like show and tell is happening all the time with Jesus. Oh, Jesus is really interested in reconciling people who are estranged from each other. Oh, that's what this kingdom's about. And so in Jesus, this kingdom is breaking in. Light in the midst of darkness. Justice in the midst of oppression. And his announcement is then, repent and believe. Or reimagine and trust. Or turn around and just walk into it. And the Sermon on the Mount, which what we're looking at, is probably the most clear, um, concise collection of Jesus's teachings on what this new order is, what the kingdom is like. And if you've been around for the last couple weeks, you know that the Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes. Uh, And Uh, that's what we are going to continue to look at today. And so let me start from the beginning and then get up to the beatitude we're looking at this morning. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. This is Matthew 5, if you want to go there with me. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn. For they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so over the last three weeks, I think Nelson and Ben have done a really good job in showing us how topsy-turvy and upside-down and unexpected the Beatitudes are. Because even though we may not usually use the word Beatitude, we... The default position is uh, towards favor or blessing or the good life is get it together, and then God will bless you, or get it together, and then you'll be worth whatever that uh, future that you're hoping for. Get it together, and then get blessing, and as Nelson and Ben have been showing us, that's just totally backwards to the way this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing in, where Jesus is saying, blessed favored, in sync, right on. The ones who have it good are, and this morning, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which uh, immediately is problematic because that's kind of an old word and it's hard to know what exactly we're talking about. Righteousness. Righteousness. We couldn't exaggerate how important this is within the Bible, see it all over the place in Genesis and Deuteronomy, all over the teachings of Jesus, and as we'll see, it's all over the Sermon on the Mount. So what does it mean? Why does it matter? Why on earth should I be hungry for that? My favorite definition is from a German theologian, Gerhard von Rad. (laughs) What a great name. Uh, Gerhard von Radz defines righteousness this way. Living in faithfulness to the terms of relationship. Righteousness, and another way you could say it means right-relatedness. Being in right relationship, which makes sense then why it's all over the Bible, because the Bible's all about relationship. You may know, Genesis 1 and 2 starts describing Uh, these relationships, and we see four key relationships between us and the earth, between us and other people, the relationship between me and myself, and the relationship between me and God. So the Bible is concerned about right relatedness with the environment, with one another, with myself, and with God. And it's probably true that the best moments of your life, and if that seems too overwhelming to try and recall, let's just say the best moments of this past week probably have to do with righteousness. They probably have to do with an experience of right-relatedness. Say, of getting to share a meal with a friend, and there's a genuine exchange of reciprocity and stories and care, and no one's trying to manipulate, manipulate the other person, there's generosity there, you know, that, ah, why did I go home so fulfilled, well, you're experiencing right relatedness, or maybe there's a, a moment you're in counseling and something clicked in your relationship with yourself or your family of origin, something shifted, you go, ah, oh, what was that, oh, that was right relatedness, could be just like, uh, have you ever noticed, like, you, you encounter someone just out in the wild, on the streets, a stranger, and they're kind? Like, like a, just a smile? Especially in Vancouver? The, like a smiling person to a stranger? That's a unicorn. You, you, like, you just don't see that very often. What do you experience? Right relatedness. That's a small form of it, but it's so good. Right from the beginning, what we see God doing God, who is defined as relationship, as community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creates the world out of relationship and for relationship. Well, what does that mean? Right from the beginning, right from the beginning, we see God enter the void. The Scripture says the earth was formless and empty. God goes to the empty place and fills it. And this becomes the pattern over and over and over and over again. Empty, Full, empty, full, goes to the void and fills it. The space was hungry for the goodness of God. And God fills the space with his goodness. And his response over and over is, it's good. Like the thing that just came into being is good. As well as God filling the space with goodness is also good. And so this is the pattern. God creates sky, kind of empty, and then fills it with birds. God creates land, fills it with animals. God creates Adam, and says it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Fills that emptiness with Eve. God creates with this rhythm, empty, full, empty, full. There's no self-sufficiency anywhere. There's a totally foreign concept to the world God creates. And He creates humans to require replenishment to need to leak to not stay full which is why you need sleep I had a friend who said when I get to heaven the first thing I'm going to bring up with God is why did he create me with a need for sleep such a waste of time (laughs) <laughs> really real driven type a person and and he actually tried to like wean himself off of sleep you know go eight to seven to six i think he got down to three and then started getting insane um and he any he encountered no oh, i guess this is designed i need sleep i need water i need food you're built in with the need for relationship and intimacy and love and it's just again important to note These needs, this kind of emptiness, is not a result of the fall, but is a created intent. Built-in reminders to keep you and me in touch with the reality that there's an emptiness that God loves to fill. It's good. All of it's good. Designed emptiness so that we'd learn to look to God for fulfillment. And as that emptiness gets full, what's the result? Well, there's just an overflow of thankfulness and wonder and worship. And you start singing the same song. It's good. It's good. You're good. I was just in a place a couple weeks ago, and this is a place that grows pineapples. Pineapples uh, thrive in this location in the world. I'd never tasted a pineapple. I mean, I had, but not not a pineapple, from, from a place where they grow and they don't get put into like a dole can and they have that syrup and, you know. I had no idea I loved pineapples like that. Started singing the same song. It's good. It's good. Overflow of thankfulness, wonder, and worship as a result of emptiness being filled. That rhythm just going on and on and on. That's the pattern. But as you know, that pattern gets disrupted. And it gets disrupted by distrust. These first humans, Adam and Eve, they distrust their built-in hunger that it's good. And, built, and hunger is just felt emptiness. It's, it's a void. They distrust that. No, that's something to be suspicious of. I, actually, emptiness isn't good. Let's go for perpetual fullness. They distrust that. They distrust that God is actually good, that God is capable to fill the emptiness, that God will give something good, and and maybe there's something better than God's goodness. Maybe there's something better elsewhere. And if you know the story, this distrust leads to all kinds of fractures. Fractures in what? Relationships. If the world's made with these four key relationships and you go against the pattern of empty, full, empty, full. If you, if you resist the, the God whose glory it is to be all sufficient, whose joy it is to, and, and just loves bringing good things into being. If you resist that, well, it leads to fractures and fissures in every relationship. So instead of being filled with goodness and singing that refrain, we get filled with things like alienation and bone-wearing fatigue and violence and greed, and we start singing other songs, which then just gets more and more compounded as more and more people distrust the hunger and seek to fill the void In all kinds of ways. Do you know anything about this? Do you know anything about this human experience? I'm assuming you do. I was trying to think back to what's a current experience where I've uh, seen this. This past week, I was in a workshop. I think I see my friend who is in the workshop there. (laughs) Good to see Melissa. Um, And... There's about 30 of us, and we're on the 31st floor of, uh, of a hotel in Cole Harbour. It's a fun workshop on public participation, and I don't know if it was day three or four. You can remind me later, Melissa, but we had a very, um, I, what I experienced, awkward conversation about Indigenous rights. We're talking about public uh, participation in our cities and our relationships, and so it's, it's been surfaced that, you know, this isn't really being indre- addressed very well so far in the conversation. So let's have a conversation about Indigenous rights. It was, it was awkward. I felt we were uh, tiptoeing around one another. Here we are, 31st floor, really in the sky, elevated, off the ground, trying to talk about reconciliation, and we're at a loss for words. I was frustrated by the conversation, and so when it came break time, I thought, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go get a coffee and walk around. And I got down on the street, and right on Butte, I hear screaming, there's yelling. Well, what's going on? So I turned down Butte, and right across from the, the BC liquor store, I see an officer, and I see an Aboriginal woman, and there's an altercation, and she's yelling, and so I walk there, and at first I hear the yelling, the screaming. And uh, it's escalating. And at this point, I, I can't hear all that she's saying, but uh, she's ex- enraged, uh, she's cornered, she's threatened. I, I don't know what led to this moment or all the factors. Uh, but at this point, she starts exposing herself and taking off clothes and saying, look what he's doing to me. Look what he's doing to me. And the officer and I lock eyes. He's, he's like, are you seeing this? And I'm like, I'm seeing this. <laughs> and I don't know, you know what he's done. I don't, I'm assuming fairness from the police here. And uh, there are a couple other people start gathering around. And he says, stop resisting, stop resisting. And, I, and I'm watching, and I, and I want her to stop resisting. And I want him to be gentle with her. I, I don't want her arms to be hurt. And I want her clothes to be back on. And he's got her up against the car, and they get her clothes back on, and I'm, I'm rattled. I'm, I live in this neighborhood, and there's lots of altercations that happen. ...by living here. This has really rattled me. And so I've gone from the conference room... ...at the top of a hotel... ...to the street... ...and then I get into my destination... ...and I open the door of the coffee shop... ...and I'm hit with the soft power... ...of this beautiful culture... ...of fragrant cheddar and chive scones... pour overs There's custom leather designed chairs... Everybody in there has perfect teeth. <laughs> and, and, it, and I walk in there, and it's like this soft cocoon of, of the warm coffee culture of Vancouver that felt kind of, I felt like, y'all don't know what's going on out there. You're oblivious to, here we all are, enjoying our diagonally cut cheddar chive scones and that's how Nelson loves to do it, always on a diagonal. Um, and, 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 and really great music. I think the War on Drugs was playing. It's just, ah. Uh, outside, you know, th- there's this altercation. And so I got my coffee and I walked. And I, I couldn't go back. I thought, I've been in three different places in the last ten minutes. And they relate to this one theme. And I realized what I'm longing for and what I feel... Unable to solve, it's unrighteousness, this broken relationship. And I came out of the coffee shop and at that time now the paddy wagon's there and there are four officers there and I hear her screaming in the van. Again, I have no idea what she may have done, but I I wanted to get her out of there. I wanted somebody to get her out of there wanted reconciliation, felt completely powerless. When's the last time you felt that fracture, that brokenness of relationship with the environment, with yourself, with someone else, with God? And even though we have been and continue to be fiercely committed to this human project of Uh, filling the void resisting the one who's sufficient to fill it even though we can continue to be fiercely committed to this there is a God who is more hungry for right relationship than any of us are and that's where uh, I think there's some good news in Isaiah 61 uh, if you want to go there with me you can Isaiah 61 1 to 9 So let's let's hear these words together. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that the day of vengeance for our God to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. You may know, in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, Jesus gets up, reads this scroll, reads Isaiah 61, and then says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, which means he's saying, I am, I am he. I'm, I am the one that this, this text, Isaiah's pointing to, saying there's going to be someone who's going to do something about all this, who's going to set it all right. There's going to be someone who, who knows what to do about that, the paddy wagon, there's someone who's going to set it right. And, and Jesus is saying, I am he. I, this is me. And, he, and he's saying, I've got good news. And the good news is for who? Well, the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the captive, prisoners. Continues. This is, this is the promise to bestow on these kinds of people. A crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness. Big, hardy trees of right relatedness. A planting of the Lord for the display of. Of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So here's the promise God's going to take the most unlikely sorts of people, he's going to bestow on them blessing and favor and revert, subvert the mourning and give joy. And as a result, these people are going to become rebuilders. They're going to be interested in the renewal of their cities. The normal way of things, of unrighteousness, of alienation, manipulation, violence, hatred, will someday be overthrown, and it won't be left up to the humans just to kind of evolve or to progress into that future, because that just ain't happening. But instead, the promise is, one will come who will lead an overthrow of the old order and set up a new order in the midst and then start inviting and bringing people into that work and the result will be renewed cities. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. Do you see... Do you hear God's eagerness to give and to pour out here? Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land. and everlasting joy will be yours, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing, and in my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples all who see them will acknowledge that they are people the lord has blessed you hear how much that sounds like the beatitudes there's so much overlap it's like jesus is riffing off of isaiah 61 god's desire god's appetite For faithful relationship, God's hunger for full-on human flourishing is stronger than our our other appetites. So we could say it this way. Blessed are those who like God, hunger and thirst for full-on comprehensive, wide-sweeping right-relatedness. Jesus uses the word hunger and thirst, which are not polite words. Any any of you who would say, "Yeah, I'm a hangry person," or any one of you who you you got a friend, you're like, "They're hangry," yeah, okay. Three of us, come on, a little honesty here, folks. Okay, good. So we know we know about hangry. When that hunger hits, you get a little bit of a wild glint in your eyes, right? You're like, I will destroy a box of Triscuits right now if you I need anything. Maybe that's too much self-disclosure there. (laughs) So Jesus uses intense verbs that it's a little closer to hangry. There's some desperation mixed in it. To describe this longing, blessed are those who ache, blessed are those who lack, blessed are those with the longing, with the hunger pangs, who know this emptiness, and that know that this emptiness points them to the all-sufficient God, who know that this hunger is for right relationship with God, with the environment, with one another, and with ourselves. One of my favorite Canadian authors, Ron Rollheiser, says this, there is within us a fundamental dis-ease, an unquenchable fire that renders us incapable in this life of ever coming to full peace, This desire lies at the center of our lives, in the marrow of our bones, and in the deep recesses of the soul. And at the heart of all great literature, poetry, art, philosophy, psychology, and religion lies the naming and analyzing of this desire. Spirituality is ultimately about what we do with that desire, what we do with our longings, both in terms of handling the pain and the hope they bring us. That is our spirituality. Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Spirituality is what, you, what we do with our unrest. What a great phrase. Spirituality is what we do with our unrest. That's surprising. I, I thought spirituality is what I do with my beliefs. Because that means it's something much more primal. That that means that my spirituality might not actually be what I think it is. I have a pastor friend who who realized he had a drinking problem. He didn't know he had a drinking problem, but he realized that he had a drinking problem because uh, whenever he was going to social gatherings, he found himself calculating, finding out if there'd be alcohol there. And then throughout the day, that's what he was most excited about. Can't wait to get to the gathering, not to see so-and-so, or have some conversation, but to get four, five, six, seven, eight glasses of wine in, thats I realized, oh, uh, that actually has a lot to do with my spirituality. That has a lot to do with my unrest and how I'm handling my longings. Spirituality is what we do with our appetite, which is why Jesus didn't come just to inform us and which is why the, the Sermon on the Mount isn't just about informing you, but about forming, forming our hearts, our desires, our longings. Again, at this workshop, whenever you're meeting new people, there's the classic common question, which is, what do you do? Right? What do you do? If you want to, if you want to get a way more uncomfortable question, exposing question, that would be something like, "What do you love?" Like, just try that. Meeting someone right off the the start. <laughs> what what do what, what do you crave? <laughs> just, and just leave it there. <laughs> Not really, but that that is the exposing question. Why? Because it's so personal. Why? Because that's what your identity is. You are what you love. You are what you crave. What you're hungry for. An interesting thing happened to me a couple years around music. I started being a musician when I was four. My parents, without my permission, put me in Suzuki violin training. And without my permission, every day made me practice. And my whole life, for decades, a musician, really into music, all kinds of music, and had the expensive hobby of recording albums and then coming to terms that this is a really expensive hobby. <laughs> That's all it is. And made, and made a lot of music. In the early years of our marriage, I would stay up late. Amy would go to bed, and I would stay up late scouring the internet. I found this website called Pitchfork, which at first I thought was about uh, showing other bands, but later I found it was just dis- displaying ultimate snobbery and really kind of almost a hatred for music. Um, uh, and uh, that's just my own bias, not into Pitchfork. But um, and and so that's how m- how much I was into music. And then I realized something weird was happening. I stopped doing recordings, and then kind of stopped listening to music. And somebody asked me, so what music have you been into lately? Right, a common type of social question. Any good albums or what are you listening to? And I, I had nothing. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't think of any music I was enjoying. And then I found myself saying something weird. You know? It's like, I just, you know, I haven't been into music that late. Actually, I've been finding a lot of the new stuff boring. Just kind of bored in general with music. And I said, you yeah, I don't actually, it's, it's weird, I don't love it that much. So left that conversation and started reflecting, Oh, go, what happened? What happened to me? And then all of a sudden, a couple, because I was aware of this, a couple weeks later, I started encountering music. Like the greats, Miles Davis, Shania Twain, the greats. <laughs> and, um, and I realized, oh, I thought the I, I was saying, oh, I'm bored with music. Issues music. I found out. Oh no, it's not music. It's my attention's been directed elsewhere. Actually, I've formed new practices. Where I used to listen to music, I'm now listening almost only to podcasts. And where I used to listen to music in the in-between moments of the day, I'm now on social media. I've actually just exchanged practices, and that's actually shaped my love and interest. In something I have loved my whole life, and I've gotten to the point where I'm actually saying words, I don't think I really love music anymore. Music is not the problem. What happened was my appetite changed. It shriveled. It got smaller to the point where I I, I was like estranged from a deep love of mine. <laughs> Until I had a little taste. A little taste. Whose bed have your boots been on? Oh, such a good song. Mm. And you remember, you know, and you, and you get back into your catalog and you're like, my, one of my all time favorite bands is Wilco. I love Wilco. I forgot how good Jeff Tweedy is. I needed to get reacquainted. And so this is the weird thing. If your spirituality is about what you do with your appetite, what, you, what do you do with your appetite? The thing about appetites is they can be suppressed. They can, they can be lost. They can be filled in all kinds of other ways. Your spirituality is what you do with your appetite. And very often, fullness is the problem, not emptiness you know, like, hey, you, would you, I've, I got this prepared for, no, I'm good, just ate, totally full, stuffed, yeah, but these are, this is like mint lamb popsicles, <laughs> totally full up on Cheetos, good, yeah, the challenge isn't that, that I don't want right relatedness, I do, and the challenge isn't that I don't want God, I, I do, it's just that I want everything else as well, I want better health. I really want better health. And I also want unnecessarily large portions of sweet chili heat Doritos. And, And notice I didn't say sweet chili heat. Unnecessarily large portions of sweet chili heat. That's the problem. I want it all. There's lots of ways to lose your appetite. Can I share with you a quiz? Okay. This is a quiz I designed for myself. I keep it in an Evernote file. I don't think I've shared this in a sermon before. Uh, If I have, well, that's fine. Um, So I created this quiz, and it's a quiz I come back to every couple months. Okay? It's for myself. I share it with you because it might be helpful, and maybe even this morning you want to take along the quiz with me. I've included the answers. Okay, this is the Lance Obligated Fascinated Quiz. Number one, what's more interesting, an obligated or a fascinated person? That's fascinated. Correct. Which are you more often? Well, these questions are getting rather pointed and personal in a hurry, obligated. What does a fascinated person do? They're open, they're a perpetual learner, they're hungry. What keeps a person fascinated? Fascinated. Staying connected to the belief that there is always more to the thing than I've experienced than I understand, or that I currently see the person or thing is always better than I know or I'm currently giving them credit for. So I'd call that staying curious." That's the wrong spelling of "curious, isn't it? <laughs> Let's just go back there. Is that? Yeah, that is an error. Good. OK. next slide. Uh, Cool exercise, bro, and this matters the slightest to anyone else because, well, because shared fascination makes for the best science, and songs, and preaching, and it matters because obligation doesn't make for good work, nor it will sustain you in your work. Yeah, do you remember Mary Oliver's instructions for living a life? Yes, I do, but only because this quiz is open book. Uh, Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Okay, so then the question becomes quite pointed. Will you? You are so direct. (laughs) Will you? Yes, I, I have to, I want to, and I realize there are things only I can be responsible for in my life. No one will read poetry for me. No one will exercise my body for me. No one will pursue the presence of God for me. There is no other person that will discipline my life toward delight other than me. It's amazing it's taking you four decades to discover this. Congratulations. <laughs> the is a real jerk here. Thank you. Next. Now what? Well, the focus of every day necessarily must be finding, feeding, focusing, fascination, which comes through discipline, delight and curiosity. The purpose of a day is to taste and see that the Lord is good. I need this quiz repeatedly because my appetites shrink. My appetites get misdirected. I uh, self-deceive myself regarding my spirituality. There's all kinds of ways to get full. And there's all kinds of ways to blame music as just not being interesting. All kinds of ways to just say, God, church, moving on. And yet there is responsibility on my part and on yours, to feed yourself. I'm totally starved. Yeah, okay, but have you been eating? That will be, be kind of question number one. And the, the good news here is that we're not left alone. I love how Simone... How do I say it, Nelson? Bye. Thank you, I was going to say it wrong. Simone Vi, says it. Next slide. Grace fills empty spaces, but it can only enter where there is a void to receive it. And it is grace itself which makes this void. It's really good news. One other quote from James K. Smith, as we wrap this up. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. It's more a matter of hungering and thirsting than knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his to want what god wants to desire what god desires to hunger and thirst after god crave a world where he is in he is all in all i love that so the invitation this morning could be something like this to pay attention to your appetites listen to your longings curate your heart come hungry and feed your fascination in the new thing God is doing. And there's lots of practices that could support those pursuits. I want to just talk about one practice. And that is the practice we're doing right now. Sunday morning worship gathering. And first of all, I just want to affirm you for getting here. There's no small thing. Sometimes I'll see some of you out on a Saturday night. It could be a late Saturday night. And my thought is, oh, it doesn't matter what Saturday night was, how late it was, what you are doing, you get here on Sunday. And so good on you for, for getting here. I think another simple but profound challenge is being here. You got here. Let's be here. Which, have you found that the things you notice are the things you're paying attention to? Have you ever found that just to be true? Like, what I notice is what I'm attending to. And so this is a space for attention. Attending to the presence of God. Which everywhere else, you're going to be inundated with the alternate kingdom. Here we nurture the awareness that God is always present, God is always working. Worship is the arena, the place where we don't just do stuff, but we have stuff happen to us. If God's love spill over the banks of my tired, crusty, defended heart. This is a place where God recalibrates our, our hearts, who reforms our desires, who rehabituates our loves. Extremely important if you're getting here, to be here. And there's no mistake that what's at the center of the room is the table. So, to get here, to be here, and to come hungry. This is a space to not be polite with our hungers. This is a space for desperation and devotion. And so, as we come here, this is all, it's really all about worship. Worship the practice that we weekly have our loves and longings brought to God and make those visible, takes vulnerability. It takes vulnerability to do that physically in worship, just to use your body as the posture of your soul, to be open. It takes vulnerability to come to the table with desperation, to not have it together. A friend of mine, Lori, I'll close with this story. A friend of mine, Lori, uh, has a church in a neighborhood similar to, to ours, beautiful mixture of people, socioeconomic diversity. Some people live in houses, some people live on the street. And he shared this one story of of coming to the table. It's time for communion. And their church, like ours, has some order. There's there's a line. People wait their turn. And a woman came off the street. Looked, he said he, she looked like she'd been up all night and jumped the queue. There's a line. She didn't care about the line and got to the front of the line. And their church like ours, you, you take a piece of bread, and she took the piece of bread and dipped it into the wine. But in the vigor, in the desperation, plunged the bread all the way with her fingers, which were not clean into the wine. And Laurie said he looked up and he saw a woman with very nice necklaces and Julie just kind of do one of these. (laughs) Ooh. Okay. People saw it. She plunged it in. And because the bread went so far in, there's a lot of wine. She pulled it up, the submerged piece of bread, and just right there started eating it. Wine is coming down her arm off her elbow. And he said, That morning, the woman led us all the proper way to come to the table. (laughs) It's the proper way. Desperate, needy, no longer playing games, that is up to me to fill the void and to repent of all the ways this past week. I've been filling it. And I've been doing the same thing of saying, yeah, God, you're not sufficient for me. Not for this particular need. I'm going to have to go elsewhere. And we come to the table and we're reminded with the poet from Psalm 63 who says, your love is better than life. Is better than life. So let's come to the table for our loves to be reordered and reoriented and rehabituated. Train us, God, how to be hungry. For those of us who have had little food and we're a little closer to the feeling of hunger, help us to lead. For those of us who have been full for a long time, who have been suspicious of being empty or thinking that hunger is something that we're supposed to get rid of, help us for those who find ourselves saying strange things even to ourselves like, I don't currently like music anymore or the love of God, the most interesting being in the universe is just no longer interesting to me. It's boring. Rehabilitate the core of our beings. Thank you for the invitation to this table that we can come needy, we can come desperate, we can come hungry. Thank you that this is what you bless. Thank you for showing us this in Jesus. Amen.